Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Insight on the No Ratings podcast. I do apologize. Normally we do it right after a game, but we've sort of decided that Sunday is the day to go with because you're probably sitting in your seat, you've had a cup of tea or you've had your dinner or you're getting ready for the day the next day. And instead of reading a book, you listen to the No Ratings podcast, which is always the right decision. So you know you can lock in on a Sunday for the Insight. We're going to be doing Liverpool against Tottenham. But before we get into the whole conversation, this is the tactical side of the episode uh, of, sorry, this is the tactical side of the podcast. Tuesday will be when we talk about refereeing decisions and all that kind of stuff. In this particular episode, don't get angry, but we're not going to talk about the red card. We're not going to talk about the offside, onside goal. We're not going to talk about VAR. We're going to talk about the tactical side of the game. Uh, as always, Raj is with us. Uh, Matt Hayes joins us as well. Welcome to the pod, my friend. Um, as always, Raj, we'll let you start with your immediate takeaway of the game and we'll go from there well yeah as you say very odd game because of the red cards but yeah started off brilliant game I thought the tempo of the game was fantastic that's what I expected to see Spurs playing out from the back Liverpool pressing and Spurs trying to beat the press um, and they did that a few times but Liverpool also always dangerous with their direct play in behind the Spurs back line which were playing quite high up uh, which was brave again from Postacoglu but the likes of Salah Sabozlai were finding passes in behind to the likes of Diaz and Gagpo, um, were creating chances. But as I said, Spurs also had a bit of their own uh, territory as well. Um, the goal from Spurs, I thought, was fantastic. The way, I think it was Madison who played the pass in behind for Richardson. Lovely pass, which um, Liverpool can really defend. And yeah, got, got a goal. Um, and then we saw a very different game in the second half, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, Matt, you nodded, you nodded aggressively at... Uh... Tottenham scored a great goal. Um, <laughs> what 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 was your takeaway from the game? Because obviously, as a Spurs fan, you're delighted with the win. But naturally, on the insight, what we what we try and do is in the name give more insight than just the result. Um, everyone knows what happened a late Matip own goal, but I think there was a lot more to unpack. But on on your know, immediate tactical side of the game, what was your feeling? Look, I, I think a lot of Spurs fans will be the first to tell you that it was far from our best game of the season. You know, we we won't be. We won't be talking for for years to come about the, about the performance in that game by by any stretch of the imagination. But what we're taking the most joy from in looking at this game uh, against Liverpool, but also if you want to even go back a bit further to that game against Arsenal, that we're not going to be afraid to play this this Ange ball as it's been dubbed, this incredible passing it out from the back, risk taking, brave football. That it's easy to play it against the the teams maybe who are fighting relegation, the the Burnleys and and Bournemouth are fighting relegation, but kind of mid table team. It's easy to play it against them. But when you're coming up against Arsenal, a team that we've only beat once in the last, I don't know how many years at the Emirates, Liverpool only beat them once in the last 23, 23 games, to, to stick to that style of play and to, to have the confidence to do it in the way that we did it, for mainly in that first half, passing out from the back, you know, really wanting to take those risks and the, the encouragement from Postacoglu that Mickey van de Ven spoke about it during the week. When he makes a mistake, Postacoglu says, we'll try that again, keep doing it. Um, and and Postacoglu, I think, phrases it perfectly when he says, we are still in our infancy in, in this style of football and and trying to get going how we're going. But the, the way that these players have adapted to it is, is phenomenal. I think the recruitment that we did over the summer, especially, is working really, really well. Guglielmo Vicario is so, so crucial to, to the way we want to play out from the back. And Mickey van de Ven as well, having the, the ability on the ball and off the ball with that high line that, that Raj mentioned there as well. E- everything about the players he brought in is, is working so perfectly. Um, and look, there was a lot that Liverpool did in the game to, to kind of stifle what we wanted to do in, in passing it through the midfield. They, they kind of flooded those central areas, which 
which did cause us a lot of problems at the time, especially in the opening five, 10 minutes of the game as, as we kind of tried to adjust to, to how they were counteracting the way we wanted to play. But I think Basuma, especially in that midfield, was was absolutely incredible for the full game. He's so press resistant, the, the quick, intricate passing between himself and Sarr. Um, it, it did did cause Liverpool a lot of problems, but again, in this in the same way, Liverpool did cause us a lot of problems with their with their counter attack and play. Even when they went down to ten men, not as much at, at nine men, but there was still a few moments that um, we, we did look vulnerable. You know, the man who surprised me the most is actually Pedro Porro at right back. I always had him dubbed as a kind of overlapping threat who flies forward, gets into the box, gets crosses in, at good pace, good crossing, good good uh, finishing. But the way he's adapted to this kind of inverted role, I think it's been phenomenal. Uh, I didn't realise he had that kind of passing under pressure, the ability to turn uh, what's being pressed and play out. And that right side for Spurs, I think is lethal. Um, I think you've got Christian Romero. I think his ball-playing ability is very underrated. Um, he's able to play those passes between the lines. And then you've got Kulisevsky, who's very strong at retaining the ball with his back to the defender. So you've always got an out ball there. People, the left winger for the opposition often follows Porro in, opens up the passing lane up to Kulisevsky, and he can play with his back to goal, play a pass into Madison, into Porro, who's making a run off him. Um, so, yeah, that right side for Spurs, I think, has been fantastic. And, and it was key to playing against the press against Arsenal as well, especially in the second half. What I think is is so brilliant about that, and look, from from our perspective, we still have Rodrigo Bentecourt out injured. We still have him to, to add into this mm. team, who I think will will complement what's going on on that side of the pitch really well. But but Papsar, having barely played last season, I think he made two starts for for the entirety of last season. There, there's been some moments in these last couple of games where where he's kind of got out into kind of the more traditional right right back position where you might expect to see Pedro Porro, and he's picked up some spaces out in that side, but. You can see how he's picking his moments. You know, if there's a pass not on to Kulisevsky, if, if maybe Kulisevsky has drifted drifted in a little bit in the previous pattern of play, he's moving out into this wide area. And his crossing ability isn't great. And you probably wouldn't expect that from, from a defensive midfielder. But even when he gets on the ball in those areas, it, it causes a headache for the opposition team that you wouldn't otherwise have. And if you're Liverpool, um, you know, a lot of the time in this game, they were kind of committing Sabaslai and, and Curtis Jones into, into a high press. And then McAllister was, was kind of isolated with James Madison in those pockets of space. I, I don't want to discredit Sarah at all because he's been absolutely immense this season and probably our most surprising product. But when you get someone in that team like Benton Core, who is more assured in possession and, and has that yeah. maybe that more creative passing range than, than Sarah does, I think we're, we're, we're flying it then even more than we are now. I, I think you're right about the Saar point. He has definitely moved out wide and he, he does look better out there. I think in the first half against Arsenal, they really put him under pressure in the central areas. And then Postacoglu was like, let's help him out a bit here. Let's put him wider and Poro in those central pockets. And it really did, did improve your build-up play. Uh, I, I, I agree with you. Ben Tanker, I think he's a, he's a game-changer for you guys. Um, he even started adding a few goals to his game as a bit more of a box-to-box player before he got injured. Uh, the injury really came at a bad time for him and, uh, and Spurs. So, yeah, he will add another dimension for sure. The um, You also mentioned the McAllister-Madison area. Now, the first goal came from Madison picking up and playing what me and Roger were just saying before, Roger saying, do you reckon Gomez was at fault? And I was saying, you could, you can sometimes blame the right back, but then it also happened two or three times. So I do have reason to say that maybe Gomez possibly could have been a little more aware of what's over his shoulder. But it's very difficult when you have a, a 10 in possession like Madison who can play, whose, whose angles of receiving the ball are so good and also his angles of where he can play the ball is, is so good. So there's often times where he picks the ball up and it happened actually when I think, I want to say, uh, Udogi was possibly offside in the second half when he played it with the outside of his foot. Again, I, I saw that happen and I could see it happening, but the execution of pulling it off is completely like 
otherworldly at times. So I don't blame Gomez too much. But that area for Liverpool at the moment, Raj, is probably a big issue because McAllister, he's not a, I don't think he's a six personally. Um, and I think he's actually getting wasted a little bit because they're asking him to win duels. Almost reminds me a little bit of how Liverpool have used Thiago. Like, go and be a pit bull and win tackles mm-hmm. and throw yourself around. And you sort of lose the technical qualities of a player who is built on having immense technical qualities. Yeah, well, look at it. At his time at Brighton, he had the ball win, ball win the next to him in Kaiseido. Now he's having to do that. Um, and I think it does take a bit from his on-ball game as well because he's having to cover so many yards. And I've seen this with Bruno Guimaraes as well. When you ask a player who's not used to putting that, those yards in uh, to use their physical engine a lot more, it takes away from their on-ball ability. By the time they get the ball, they've already ran so much that they just want to play the simple pass or their execution is missing. So yeah, McAllister, I, I, I agree. I don't think he's a six. He doesn't shield that space in front of the back four well enough for me. Um, but I think Liverpool are getting away with it because their counter-pressing and pressing has been a lot better with Curtis Jones and Sabozlai, both very, very good at that side of the game. Uh, and it's kind of providing a shield around McAllister. Um, and he, he's being found a bit wanting sometimes, particularly when someone's running at him. I think when he's someone's running at him and he's on the back foot, he struggles. He struggles a lot. And um, as you said, he doesn't shield the space well enough as well. Uh, and the back four can look a bit exposed sometimes. Maybe the, the plan there was for, for McAllister to have that game plan. It was a deep line playmaker. And if, if, if they win that ball on the press, they can ping it back to McAllister and let him do his thing from there. Um, or even him picking up the loose balls and, and trying to pull the strings in, in that way. I just think the, the way Tottenham were able to to by, bypass that press, specifically with Basuma, I think maybe just nullified the the plan that they might have had there for, for McAllister a little bit. The Basuma thing is very interesting. We've spoken about this a few times already on the pod. Under Conte, he didn't get a look in. He was very frequently injured. He had a moment in the second half where he received the ball from, I don't know, I think it was Romero. He's inside his own penalty area. And he stopped the ball under his foot. And I want to say Sabosla went charging in and he just turned out. And you've basically just defeated half a press. And when you've got like the ability he has and the range of like uh, qualities that he has, he can carry the ball, he can play Diags. I saw that and I just thought, what is, why is he not winning the team this whole time? Madness. I I will make a statement here. I think Yves Bissouma is the most press resistant midfielder in the Premier League. I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, of course you will, Matt. <laughs> um, I'm trying. I mean, it's not a bad take to be honest, because um, I don't think it's a take. Actually, I think it's a, it's a good opinion because when you have certain players, uh, McAllister's a, a really great example, and Genie Wijnaldum is someone that uh, I used to always think was one of the most press-resistant midfielders I've ever seen uh, because of their sheer like upper body strength when they get closed down. McAllister's actually quite good at that. Um, but Basuma, because he can carry the ball, is a very like different trait. McAllister passes his way out of trouble. Uh, Wijnaldum used to sort of uh, shield the ball and dribble his way. Basuma's ability on the ball, and Matt, you must have been watching last season and, and, and gone, there were games, I think I actually remember the Liverpool game, where Tottenham got battered in midfield, and, and Basuma was on the bench, and I was thinking, you've got the man on the bench who can win these duels for you, and you're just not using him, and this season now, it seems like Andrew's got him working. Yeah, it, it was it was a very strange ordeal the the whole way through last season with Basuma, and I, I I don't think anyone can can really pinpoint why why Antonio Conte didn't want to use him. He seemed the the steal of the summer when when we brought him in from Brighton. Um, I I, I think our, our our midfield now is the kind of it, it's it's use is a lot different to what it was last year, and I felt last season we bypassed that midfield a lot of the time where we wanted to mm. to ping those balls forward, and they were almost at times 
almost decoy players to allow Kane to get into those spaces and, and, and play with the ball where we, we need a lot more from our midfield now. And look, Bazuma is incredibly press resistant, but I think it's it's the whole setup that we have is press resistant. And I'd say maybe Bazuma is just the most important vessel within that. And one of the phrases Conte used last season was that he, he didn't understand the game tactically enough or he didn't have the tactical ability hmm. kind of to, to play in a Conte system. Tactically, he is the most perfect player we could have in that midfield at the moment. And every decision he seems to be, he, he makes seems to be the, the right one. And it's, it's just such a pleasure to, to see him kind of find his own in this team now and, and really push on to be the player we knew he could be. I think when you, um, when you think about like players not understanding tactical systems and then literally the next season from game, game week one, they suddenly understand a more complex tactical yeah. system. I don't know. I have many questions. Um, let's talk Liverpool. Let's move back to Liverpool. Um, obviously, as I said, it's really difficult to analyse this game tactically because Liverpool get reduced to 10 men, then nine men. Um, Raj, I did see your tweet about uh, Klopp. You've often been someone who's criticised Klopp's coaching, um, like even on the pod, but also like you've, you've tweeted things around his coaching. So it was refreshing to see something slightly different. Well, the reason I, I criticise Klopp sometimes is because I hold him to so high standards. That is actually the reason, honestly. Like, I, He is a, one of the best coaches in the world, um, but I think he's just a bit naive to his own weaknesses sometimes. Uh, and it's not even a coaching weakness a lot of the time. It's a lot of it is just recruitment-based, is where I mainly uh, criticise him. And his game model isn't always the most flexible. But actually, the thing with Klopp is, I think he underrates how good he is as a defensive coach. When he plays quite a conservative, deep block, we've seen it several times. We saw it. These were the three games that sprung to my mind. Yesterday, obviously, he switched to a very deep block. And it was he went to a 5-3-0 in the end, uh, brought on two defenders and, and put five at the back in place. Because he saw Spurs were really accessing the half spaces in the box pretty well when Liverpool had 10 men. And then with nine men, he had to, he had to do something else, didn't he? So he switched to that 5-3-0 and blocked all the half spaces up. Uh, Madison wasn't really getting on the ball much in spaces. Kulisevsky, the same, was playing passes in behind the defence initially, but they, he kind of got shut off uh, with that with that deep block he played. So, yeah, the, the, I thought Klopp's tactical chain was fantastic. As I said, there, there's a few games that spring to mind. Man City last season, Klopp switched to a very deep, compact system and shut him out 1-2-0. Um, Man City in the second leg of the 2018 Champions League quarterfinal, I think it was, again, he, he got the 3-1 lead in the first leg and then sat back and City really couldn't penetrate much at all. Um, so, yeah, I think he's a very underrated defensive coach. And one of his idols is Arrigo Saki. And Arrigo Saki put a lot of emphasis on spacing in, in, a, in a compact system and how to set up a, a system which can't be penetrated. And I think Klopp is very good at that. And he saw that again yesterday. The own goal was pretty unlucky in the end. Uh, I don't think Spurs created a big chance after Liverpool went down to nine men. So that says a lot. Uh, about how good coach, uh, co- how good Klopp is at coaching a defensive system, and yeah, I, I would like to see more of that from him. To be honest, uh, him adapting a bit more to higher level oppositions and using those counter-attacking threats he's got on his squad, and then sitting back a bit sometimes because the high press is good, but sometimes you need to adapt that a bit in game, especially when you're under the cosh. I'll, I'll absolutely hold my hands up and say that I underrated him defensively and, and yesterday taught me a lesson that, that I, I didn't think I'd be learning um, in, in the game, to be honest. <laughs> the, the way he adapted, like you mentioned, to both going down to 10 men and, and 9 men was, was absolutely perfect. And even even 11 v 11, you know, we mentioned earlier the kind of the, the gap that Gomez had left for, um, for, for the first goal that we scored. And I thought Liverpool, for the majority of the game, defended that space quite well. But when James Madison is on the other end, if you don't defend it once it's very likely you're going to concede a goal. And even even the disallowed goal, it came in a very similar kind of pattern of play, but I don't even think there was that much of a gap. It's just Madison has that 
that, that passing ability to, to exploit even a, a well-structured defence. Um, Slabislai, the way he was kind of coming back in and, and helping defend that space when the gap between Matip and Gomez was, was a bit too much was, was really good. The Going to the 4-4-1 and even having putting Salah as, as the front man up top when you could have done it with Gakpo, you could have done it with Diaz to, to make that man be Salah. The different options that he offered that the other two maybe might not have done, I think was, was really important. And giving them that outfall of 10 men that, that gave us something to think about at the other end. You know, it wasn't just, okay, let's, let's pummel and until we get the goal, um, which is obviously never going to be the case when you're playing a team of Liverpool's quality. Um, but then going down to nine, that five three zero really, really flooding those central areas, which I, I think Tottenham played into their hands a little bit in that we weren't diversifying mm. going forward enough. We we kept we kept going with those inverted fullbacks. We had two wide players who aren't exactly known for beating a man one v one that we, we weren't able to really exploit those areas. But within those central areas, Liverpool were winning every single ball. They were every single duel. There was no space for Madison to get into, for Porro to get into. And I, I thought just the way he set it up from, from first minute to last and that management to be able to to adjust to, to every setback that they had was absolutely absolutely exquisite and it, like I, I'll be the first to say I, I quite often criticise Klopp for what he says maybe post-game and some things but I thought everything he said yesterday was absolutely 100% he has to be proud of that performance from his team it was such an unfortunate moment for them to to lose that game but I think Liverpool played and Klopp managed a very very impressive draw with just a, a bit of bad luck at the end Matt, it's an interesting point you make about the wingers actually um, I just wanted to get your take on this are you a bit concerned about Dejan Kulisevsky's ability to beat a man in the final third. Juventus fans used to mention that quite a bit. And mm. under Conte, he was excelling in transition. But now he's being asked to pick the ball up against a deep defence. And he looks a bit stiff when he's trying to beat a man. I remember he had a few opportunities against Lissandro Martinez, even against United when you, you, when you won. He couldn't beat him. Uh, I, I, was, I was pretty uh, shocked by that, to be honest. Uh, the words I have in my notes here are one-dimensional and predictable for, for Kulisevsky <laughs> yesterday and maybe it's a little bit harsh it was just to kind of trigger some, some thoughts on my own head but but 100% um, I, I, I think in, in the system that we're playing now where there is more creative ability throughout that team and last season it was Kane and Kulisevsky and, and that was it I think we were we were just so you know kind of in awe of Kulisevsky because he could make things happen and look I, I'm not going to say he's not a good player he's an incredible player a steal for the price that we got him at but when with the way we're playing at the moment we, we tend to if we go down the right, it's going to be a bit more of a patient build-up, whereas on the left, it's going to be more penetrative, more uh, more incisive. When, and look, the, the personnel kind of tells you that, whether it's for Charleston or Johnson or Solomon, they are going to be more direct, whereas Kulisevsky will try and do something a little bit different. A lot of the time with him, you know you're going to get him down the wing, he'll cut back onto his left foot and try and put a ball into the box, which people know now. You, you, you can read that and you can stop it quite easily, double up, that, that space isn't there on the inside. There was a couple of moments in that first half where he did manage to not so much beat a man, but beat beat the space near a man again, if, if that's a way of even phrasing it. But he was a bit too slow kind of to make that decision. And by the time he got into the penalty area, there was too many players in there. That was blocked, the cross was blocked, whatever it is. For me, what I'm looking at from 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 attacking perspective, I'm not sure what it would mean defensively if, if we were to kind of adjust our system this way. But if you put Kulisevsky into that inverted space and kept Pedro Porro out wide, and I will say as well, Raj, I completely agree with you. The Porro inside in there has absolutely shocked me technically he's so much better than than I thought he was going to be but if you put Kulisevsky into that space where he kind of prefers to operate in those little tight spaces where he can ping a pass to Madison make the move off off the shoulder and have power on the outside where he has that pace to be the man down the line he's obviously right-footed so getting those crosses into the box will be a little bit more natural for him maybe that would work a little bit better that that might leave us exposed defensively I'm not too sure but I, th- there is a, a feeling there that, that Kulisevsky he needs to have that ability to to take a man on either way beat him down the line and it's definitely something that 9v9 yesterday was really, really lacking. And it's no surprise that when we did ultimately get that goal down the right-hand side, it was an overlapping run from Pedro Parra that, that exploited that space. 
I've said this a few times actually. I think I see Kulisevsky's future if I was trying to profile him as a more central player. I think he's his upper body strength is fantastic. He's got good close control, good passing range. You've seen him create several chances from playing those passes in behind the defence, almost a bit like Salah in a way. Um, and his ball striking is phenomenal as well. He can really smash a shot from outside the box. So if you get him in those central areas, I think you could maximise those traits a bit more than where he's being used currently. But then the problem is you've got Madison as the other eight. Can you play two eights like Madison and Kulisevsky and get away with it defensively? Could be a tricky one. It's an interesting... Uh issue to have because Kulusevsky obviously last season the talk was that um, I think it was getting compared to Saka at times obviously that's football Twitter um, but there's definitely like an element of me did think he was he played it in Syria I've got quite a few friends that are massive Juve fans and they were like can't wait to get rid of this guy then he hits the ground running in the Premier League and sometimes that just happens for a player but there were moments when I thought I do find him to be a little bit limited. I do find him to be quite frustrating. There was a moment in the game against Liverpool where he comes inside of Robertson, found half a yard to possibly dink it in back post or maybe slip it back through to Madison. And he went for a shot that went into Rosette. And I just thought, as a manager, you must be furious because 89th minute, you need to just keep the ball and keep the back back five moving at that point. Um, also, you mentioned Salah, and I have to mention him because I thought he was unbelievable. Um he didn't score, and I think because there's this sort of perception around Salah has to score for Salah to have a good game. Some of the things he's just doing that he does uh, naturally, almost like without effort, just my jaw's on the floor at times. There's, there's three crossfield passes to him from Van Dijk, some 60 yards away, and he, t- he takes it down under his foot with Udogi charging out at him. There was a moment where like, the goal that was disallowed, he wrestles... Um, um, the centre-back off him, I can't remember who it was, and then plays a, a first-time pass into Diaz completely effortlessly. And I'm sat there, and then there's the pass that actually Diaz should have converted. There's like four, five, six, seven moments in a game where I'm going, I keep saying he's a goal and assist merchant, but some of these things he's doing, like when Liverpool went down 10 men, he was playing like as a, a big number nine. He was holding the ball up. I was just thinking, he's 5'10". <laughs> yeah, you're right. And if, I don't know if you remember the game against West Ham. He got charged on by Kurt Zuma held him off and played a pass in behind for Nunes and he, Nunes missed a, uh, an easy chance. His upper body strength is phenomenal. I think there's a bit of an obsession with wingers. We, I know we just mentioned it now with Kulisevsky being so good at dribbling and having to roast their fullback all the time. Salah doesn't dribble to roast his fullback. Salah dribbles with the intention of creating. He, all he wants is that bit of half yard of separation so he can play that pass, play that cross and find a runner in behind the likes of Diaz, the likes of Nunes, the likes of Gagpo. He doesn't care really about necessarily beating his man. He cares about what can he create for his teammates. And that is probably his most underrated trait. I don't, you know, uh, Matt, you probably add more onto this. Son is quite similar in a sense. Son Son almost doesn't ever go past his man. He just tries to find half a yard because he's so two-footed. I mean, his, I mean, creatively, obviously, what Raj is saying that Salah wants to create in terms of play penetrative passes, have long-range shots, play passes out wide. Son's much more of like a, can I find half a yard to shoot? So it's a different sort of creativity, but he's so dangerous. Um, and there's definitely some similarities there. Um, before we let you go, as always, the insight, we try and keep it below 30 minutes. Uh, Matt, any anything we haven't touched on that you want to touch on? I think Mickey van der Ven was absolutely exquisite in that game. And I, I'm probably going to say this with, with every every Spurs game that, that that's played this season. Um, he, he he's absolutely fantastic. The the way he settled into this team. I know we kind of spoke about earlier the how he was in possession, but 
playing that high line when you have someone like Van de Ven. There's one moment in particular where I, I'm not sure who played the pass, but it was we were playing a very high line. Liverpool kind of beat the, beat the half rest with some good space in the middle of the pitch. The ball is played down the right wing, and, and Gakpo was making that run from from into out. And you think, okay, well he's in here, and Van de Ven is mm, off like yeah. an absolute bullet. And he, he's what six three, six four. You don't often see that pace from from a centre back of that size. I think he's going to be absolutely crucial to. To, to what we kind of try and try and do this season. And I'm really looking forward to seeing him develop and I kind of properly, you know, find his way in his team. The Van de Ven point is very interesting, actually. What I describe him as, he's, he's a bit different in terms of what position he plays, obviously, but he's like a Dutch car walker. The way, the amount of ground he can cover off the ball is ridiculous. And the speed he covers it at, it's like an insurance policy at the back. You know, mm. the pass is getting played in behind. This guy's going to be able to sweep across. A bit, also a bit like Alfonso Davis for Bayern. These guys are the insurance policy defenders. And that's what Van de Ven is doing for you guys. He's allowing Postogoglu to play that higher line. And it's a great compliment with Christian Romero, who's more aggressive and pushes up. Van de Ven could sit back and sweep in behind Romero. And that's a great uh, balance to have in a centre-back partnership. Insurance policy defenders. <laughs> uh, listen, make of it what you will. Uh, that's all we have time for, boys. Thank you very much for your time. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the insight. If you've been enjoying the insight, then make sure you follow the podcast, follow Matt and Raj on socials and also the No Ratings Pod uh, channels as well. Uh, and we'll see you next time.